Welcome to Kingdom Life Church, Stellenbosch. May this life-giving word activate your faith today. This morning I'm starting with a new series. And it's a series that's been part of my heart and so close to, to what I believe we are called to for so long. I had a discussion, I think, Keith, I think we had a discussion like three weeks ago, and we started talking about this thing, and it just confirmed so much in my life that, and that what I've been meditating on through lockdown, that we need community. The one thing that most people in the church life has missed through lockdown, through six months of sitting at home, was exactly this, community, getting together, have coffee, asking someone how they are, giving a hug or two. I mean, we need people in our lives. We can't be alone. Now, uh, I heard the story this week of a man sitting in a train all alone, in a train compartment, all, all alone, to be all, the whole train, there's nobody. And he's sitting alone, and it's pouring rain outside, and above his seat, there's a crack in the roof of the train. It's probably India, I don't know where. <laughs> but it's only there where trains break. And the, the water was trickling down on his head, and he's like dripping wet. And a conductor came by and he said, sir, don't you want to swap seats? And he stood up and he said, sir, come on, let's be, let's be honest. With whom am I going to swap seats? <laughs> There's nobody here. <laughs> and I realized that we are not created to be alone. Did you know that? We are not created to be alone. We are created to be with people. And that's why I'm starting this series called One. I'm going to go into it. Why One. Why one? Why did we call it one? Now, this month, I'm going to speak about community. I'm going to speak about community. Why do we need community? Why is community important in our lives? Why is it essential for us to have community in church? Now, I want to define community before we start, but I thought about it, and I realized that it's quite tough because community has so many different contexts that you can't really define it. If I have to write down the definition of community that you get in the, in the dictionary, I'll have a couple of pages that I have to go down and explain the whole thing. So let's just use three words this morning. Just three words that we're going to, for this series purpose, I'm going to use three words to define it. Number one is to be available, to be vulnerable, and to share your life with others. That's the basic definition of community. To be to be vulnerable, to be available, to be vulnerable, and to share your life with others. Or we can say to be available, to be vulnerable while you share your life with others. You see, that's the basic definition of community. Now, our core scripture is in John 17. If you've got your Bibles here this morning, it's going to be up there as well. I want you to turn your Bibles to John 17, and I want to encourage you to go and read John 17 in this week or two, and go and read through it a bit, because it's a such an amazing chapter in the Bible. Now, if you look at John 17, we see Jesus praying. Now, Jesus has been praying all through the Gospels. There's a lot of times where he prays, but if you look at John 17, it was just before he ascended to heaven, and it was, it, it's the longest recorded prayer of Jesus in the Bible the longest recorded prayer of our Savior. In verse 1 to 5, Jesus prays for himself. Verse 1 to 5. And verse 6 to 19, Jesus prays for the disciples. But then in verse 20 to 26, he prays for all believers. Isn't that amazing how he incorporates everyone? He prays for himself because he was was going to heaven and he's leaving the disciples, so let's pray for the disciples. And then he prays for everyone who would come after the disciples. 
all this, that were part of this movement that was about to be started. Now let's read our core scripture for this series, and it's verse 20 to 22. Now I hope you can see there. Um, I'm going to read the following. It says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all those, or, sorry, for all who will ever believe in me through this message. So he says, I'm not just praying for my disciples. I'm praying for every one of you, everyone who would follow. Then he says, I pray that they will be one. I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. Isn't that a great scripture? So amazing. See, Jesus says, Father, let them be one. Let them be in unity as me and you are in unity, as we are one. You see, Jesus is praying this amazing prayer before he ascends to heaven. He's about to leave the disciples. I trained you. I equipped you. Let me pray for you before I leave. And he prays, Father, I, I pray that not just my disciples, because if you go to verse 12, he says the same, may my disciples be one as I'm one. And then he comes to verse 20 and says, May every believer be one as I am in one with the Father. Isn't that amazing how fatherly he comes as Father? I want them to have what I have with you. That was his heart. That was his purpose. Now if you read this chapter and you go through this chapter, chapter 17, you see that this prayer that Jesus prayed was a prayer focused on community. It was a prayer focused on community. See, Jesus was asking God that the church, the church he was leaving, the disciples he loved that we was leaving would be a church of community, would be a group of people believing that, 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 that focus around community. Now see, as, if we as believers were looking for the key, of, the key to Christianity, have you ever thought about that? What's the key to Christianity? What's the thing? How can I do this good? Now the key to Christianity is community. It is. Because if Jesus prays, the longest recorded prayer in, in the Bible, it must be an important prayer. And the central focus of this prayer is, may they have community as I have with you, Father. See, this is a huge topic for Jesus. It's not just a normal topic. This was a huge topic. See, community is the key to see sustained transformation, to see that sustained transformation in your life, to see that longevity in ministry and how I grow and develop my life and my relationship with, with Jesus. But also it's a, it's a key to revival in our lives because revival starts here. Everybody's waiting, but it starts here. You see, community is a key for this. And we need to realize this. Now looking at the passion and the weight of this prayer of what Jesus did, so passionate, so weighty, we need to understand that there is a war on. There is a war on against this issue of community by being one in the church. There's a war in our lives. The enemy doesn't want us to have community. The enemy wants to bring disunity between believers. He does. He wants to bring offense and so people never come back to church or never go back and part of a unit, part of unity of church. He wants that because he knows the power in community. You see, there has been a war on against community, so sorry, against unity and community in the Western church for a long time. For a long time. In the last few centuries, now more than ever, people have grown up with such an individualistic mindset. 
Yes, really, go and think about this. We are individualistic. What do you see if you sit in a train or an airplane? Or whatever? People are like this. They don't talk. They don't look at each other. I see photos on camp. If I walk on campus, there's five students sitting around a table having lunch and everybody's doing this. They're not watching, talking. They're not doing anything. Because we have grown into an individualistic culture and mindset more than we think. Now, if we listen very careful while you read the Scripture, how believers nowadays read Scripture is through the lens of individualism. individualism. People read the Scriptures. They talk about Christianity. Everything is out through a lens of individualism. How can I say that? Why? Because it's all about me. How can I be free? How can I be more blessed? How can I be this? How can and it's great. We need to. But was that Jesus' heart from the beginning? Was that number one to get to me? Now, if I look through the Bible and through history, we see how sin came in through Adam and Eve. We know all the story. We know Genesis. We know the story. And the fall created brokenness. We know that. When the fall happened, there was sin. Adam and Eve fell. It created brokenness. But this other word, they created otherness. Otherness between God and man. Now the word otherness actually means the quality of being different. That, that difference. Adam and Eve was created in God's image. They were like God. And suddenly sin came and it created brokenness and it brought difference between God and man, otherness. Now, otherness is a problem. See, sin brought a significant difference between us and God called otherness. Every day we, are, we want to be like God, but sin separated us from Him. But then Jesus came to earth. And, and I'm not sharing a gospel message here this morning. Oh, it is gospel, but it's It's not a salvation message. But then Jesus came to earth with a supernatural agenda and he took us from otherness to oneness. Isn't that amazing? He took us from brokenness, otherness from God, different from God, to a place where we are one in community and one in spirit. As him and the Father is one, so are we one. Isn't that a place where we want to be? That's where we want to be. You see, Jesus came to restore oneness that they was broken in otherness and created oneness again through the cross. <laughs> See, that is God's pattern for His creation. That was His pattern. But in our Western mindset, our concept of this story of God is the following. It is creation, fall, and individual redemption before God. Think about it. Creation, fall, individual redemption. But that is not what Scripture actually says. If you look at Scripture, it says creation, fall, covenantal community, and then individual or finding redemption in God through Jesus. See, that's what Scripture says. Creation, fall, covenantal community, and then I find my redemption in God through Jesus. That was the story of covenant as we read the Gospels. doesn't make sense. See, it's important that we get this because Jesus prayed that we would be one. That we would be one. That we would be one in community, one in family, one with Him as He is with the Father. It was His prayer and it was His need for us to be in community. It was His need. Now, because of my reference, I speak from a Western church culture. 
Because we are actually Western churches. All South Africa is actually quite Western. Although we have strong African cultures, it's amazing. But, but there's so many cultures in South Africa. Especially in, in our country, we've got so many languages, official languages, official cultures. And that's why we as a church love to be multicultural. We love to be multicultural. Because we want to reach every culture in our country. But, it's, but does this change our view of kingdom community? Because can cultures change your view of kingdom community? I remember when I was doing school of ministry 16 years ago. We were 13 men staying in a house in Pinelands. Four, five cultures in one home. And it was fun. The first few weeks was fun. And then after a few weeks, man, we started molding each other. <laughs> it was quite amazing. And I remember the first thing was, was that um, like all of us had our own cupboards with our food and stuff and we did and then suddenly all the sugar was just depleting quicker and there was no coffee suddenly and it was like well I just bought a new coffee you know and then and then I, I realized that some of my friends are using all my coffee and sugar I said what's happening here I said no but he says but there's Ubuntu in this house I say Ubuntu what and I started learning from cultures and God started freeing me from how cultures think Ubuntu is like, we are, I am because we are. I am strong because we are strong. I love that. It's such an amazing thing of our culture. I remember I grew up in Potchefstroom, and we've got a strong Tswana culture there. Strong. It's like less than three hours to the border of Botswana, and we've got a lot of Tswana students. And, and it was always amazed me as I grew up how a Tswana, two Tswana persons can shout at each other from over the street. <laughs> and I was like, why are you shouting? Just walk over, man. And I realized one of my friends said to me, no, no, Henny, we, we do that because we show people we're not gossiping. I was like, oh, it makes sense. It makes sense. You see, we misunderstand cultures in our lives and we live among cultures in our lives, but how does it involve the kingdom culture and the kingdom community we need to live in? How does it do? How do we do it? Now, in, in a kingdom community, community is absolutely critical to sustain our spiritual growth and maturity as believers. Christian kingdom communities is so important. So important. You see, the last thing we want to see is that people come to church and have an experience and an encounter of God and go back home independent. We don't want that. We don't want that. Because then church is just an event. We don't know each other. We just, we don't have to take names. I don't want your name. No, no, we don't do that. See, kingdom culture is a critical aspect of being a Christian. That's why it's very important to know that, that to value and purpose community is a choice we make. It's a choice we make every day. You see, I don't just fall into community. I make a choice to be part of a community. I make a choice to be part of a friend, of a family, a friendship group. Now, what's very important to know is that to value and pursue community, we need to make that choice. We need to be intentional. We need to make sure that I am part of a community. I'm not just slipping in and slipping out. I'm part of knowing people because that's where I grow. See, many times to be part of community is a hard choice to make. Why? Because, because community is imperfect. It's not perfect because people is not perfect. I don't know about you, but I'm not perfect. 
But see, community is sticky. It's messy. It is confusing sometimes. Sometimes it's harmful. And it is slow. It is slow. <laughs> it is slow. Why? Because people need to trust each other. They need to grow towards each other. They need to get to know each other. I mean, I ran into people in church, and I thought I saw somebody for the first time. I thought, let me just stand here. I don't, wanna, I don't know if I'm going to... I mean, that's how immature I was in the beginning. And I realized it's not what you see, it's who they are in the middle. And then when I get to know them, I thought, oh my goodness, this is amazing people. But what it take time. It takes time, and people offend each other, and sometimes it's hurtful, and it's messy, and sticky, and it's slow, and, and it's a choice, a choice we make to draw closer to people, and we'll see now why. You see, to, uh, to strengthen our spiritual character and mature us, we need community. We need community, and community was always God's plan and pattern. Because he knows that in community you will be stronger. In community you will go so much further. This is scripture in 1 Peter 5 verse 5. It says the following. It says, in the same way you who are younger submit yourself to your elders. All of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another. Because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Now there's a lot in the scripture. A lot. You see, Peter's, yes, Peter is speaking to youth here, but if you look deeper into the Scripture and to the context of the Scripture, he's actually speaking to all of us. He says, all of you submit yourself to your elders, your leaders, people around you. Submit yourself, because submission is not easy. But submit yourself. And if you do that, you will clothe yourself with humility. Isn't that amazing? It's such a beautiful picture. As you clothe yourself with humility. You see, the reality is this. We at all times need to be undercover and in community. We need to. You know, I, I always say, I don't believe in lone rangers in the kingdom. <laughs> lone rangers are the guys who never grow because they're alone. But when you come into the community, something happens in your life. Growth happens. So let me ask the question, what does it really look like to submit my life to Stephen and for Stephen to submit his life to me? How does it really look like? You see, it's a good question. See, this is the community God calls us to. To submit our lives to each other. Just submit our lives. Not check in every morning. I'm, I'm, I'm awake. I just had breakfast. Is it okay with you? I, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that submission. That's husband and wife stuff. Okay. But to submit our lives to each other, it's like, almost like the Acts Church. The Acts Church, they sold everything. They even went further. They sold everything, and they made sure that everyone is fine. That's how close the community got. Now, the Bible says we need to submit, and if we do that, we will clothe ourselves with humility. Clothe ourselves with humility. Now, to choose to be, choose to be humble in an individualistic world, is not easy. <laughs> really, it's not easy. Because people are individual. Like, the more I can, the quicker I can get to the top, the better, and I'll step on anyone I can. If you're in business, and you run a business, and you have people you work with, you, you will know that very quickly. People who don't serve the Lord, they'll want to go to the top as quick as possible, never minding who they step on. But that's not how a Christian community works. 
It's not how Christian community works. Every time in my life I choose to submit myself to leaders or to submit myself in the accountability of friends around me or to submit to my parents while I was still living under their roof, every time I submitted to someone in my life, I started growing. I started maturing. I started, I started being who God called me to be. I would not stand here today if it wasn't for a few men around me who discipled me, who molded me, <laughs> who, who offended me, <laughs> and sometimes had harsh moments with me, but every time I grew out of it, and I realized, Lord, if it wasn't for that moment, I wouldn't be here today. My mentor in my early days when I was in ministry, had to fire me twice. <laughs> and he, we laugh at it today, but he had to fire me twice. Like, listen, you can take your things. Thank you for being in church. I mean, it was... It was Tough, tough, tough moments, but that matured me. Because I went back home, I fell on my knees, I prayed to God, and I saw His face, and I went back repenting. Because I was immature and individualistic in my mindset. Because I didn't want to submit. And God had to bring me to a place where He would humble me. And that's not God's heart. He doesn't want to humble us. It's just humility brings us to a place where we grow. And you'll see now. As I go, am I talking to someone here this morning? Sometimes we need to have a bit of vegetables as well in church. <laughs> you see, I started growing and maturing in my relationship with God every time I opened my life to others around me. See, humility, and this is important, humility conducts, grace of, conducts the grace of God like copper conducts electricity. I had a Facebook post this week and and it was actually a quote of Andrew Womack. And he says that humility conducts grace in our lives like copper conducts electricity. And I thought about this quote so long and I realized it is, I mean, it is spot on. It is spot on. I need to have a humble mindset. Jesus didn't come in and, 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 and raise an army and took everything by force. He came in humble. He loved people. There was a humility of heart in everything he did. Now, pride stops the flow of God's grace. The same as an insulator stops the flow of electricity. That's what pride does. Pride stops God's grace in your life. And I don't know about you, but I need God's grace in my life. I need it. See, when, I, and when we decide not to submit our lives to others, there is, there is a pride thing. And the Bible says it, God will reject that thing whenever there's pride in our lives. And sometimes I have to go and sit down very carefully and realize that, look, Henny, there is some serious pride stuff in your life, and that's why you're not opening your life to people around you. I mean, you, you're not receiving their, their input, their love. You see, we need grace in our lives every day. Every day. And we need grace in our lives for others through others and through others lives into our lives see God didn't call us just to walk into church on Sundays <laughs> he called us to walk into community on Sundays he could, chose us to walk into a community where we feel part of things where we can grow and open our lives and be vulnerable where we can be cared for and where we can, where we can be loved see that's the church's role 
to build community where people can feel safe to be vulnerable, and as they're vulnerable, they grow in God. Every time in my life when I had came to a place where I, I, was, I felt safe enough where I can be vulnerable, I started growing. I started maturing in God. And it's so important to be, come to that place. See, we can sit in church without experiencing grace. Sorry, we can't sit in church without experiencing grace. We can't. Because we'll forever be caught up in religion and law and we'll never get free from the stuff in our lives. We need to sit in a church that shows grace and where we can experience grace in our lives. It's like a slip and slide. How many of you know a slip and slide? I mean, I remember when I was a young lad, a young lad, a young lighty, my dad bought me a slip and slide, that, that yellow one. So you remember that yellow one? So you roll out and you connect the hose to that thing and it spurts the waters out and it, it makes a nice fountain and then you run and dive. Man, we did somersaults and dives and, and then we brought out the, the, the sunlight liquid. Oh man, then, then things, then it gets nice. You know? And we slides, then the slip and slide got longer because the grass on the other end got slippery. You know? And then I mess up my dad's lawn and it was just a, hectic. Slip and slides are fun. And then they, now they have the blow-up ones, you know, that blow-up things that you have a pool of water. I mean, that's, that's even more fun. I mean, slip and slides are amazing. But slip and slides are a completely different experience when you remove the water. <laughs> different experience. It's like you run, jump, ee, ee, ee. It's like, <laughs> I mean, you burn your, I mean, it's, I, I don't want to even think about it. It's a different experience. And it's the same with the church or with people without grace in their lives. It's like a slip and slide without water. And I don't want to be, I don't want to run and dive on a slip and slide without water. That's why we in our lives, we need to have grace. We need to, as a church, have grace for people to come and grow and be vulnerable. And that's what community do. It brings you to that place where you feel safe and vulnerable, where you can do life with people. You see, building community in our lives without grace is tough. It's hard because it's not meant to. And the hard thing about building community is that it doesn't immediately bear fruit. It takes time. It takes time. I remember I took, when, when I was in Potsdam still, we started our ministry there 20 years ago, and when I took over the campus church, the student church, I was running a, a sport ministry nationally with Super Rugby and Springbok Rugby players for well, seven, seven, eight years, and we took over the campus church, and um, about 800 to 1,000 students, and I was the associate leader in our church. One of my best friends was leading the campus church, and he was a strong, assertive, well-spoken leader. He didn't ask you, he told you. <laughs> He's that kind of leader. But he was brilliant. I was the shepherd. So when a mess was left, I just cleared up the mess, you know. And I cared for people. And he did, not that he didn't. He was just a strong, assertive leader. Very driven. And when he left, he came to Cape Town as well. He's now in America leading a church there. And when he, when he came, I had to take over the church. And within the first two months that I'd taken over the church, we fell to 250 students. And I was like, Jesus, help me. <laughs> Things is not looking well. And I mean, I, I got called into the elders' meetings and pastors, and they wanted to let me go because I'm not the right leader for this. 
And I said to them, guys, can I tell you honestly that to change leadership, and it's a long thing, change leadership, we have to start building community in a different way. And to build community takes time. It takes time for the fruit to come if you're patient enough. But I humbled myself and I opened my life and they kept me on and then within six months we grew back to 500 because we were focusing on community. We didn't focus on systems and sermon series and this and that and we just focused on community because my role and who I was as a leader was more relational. I was more relational. And some of the, lead, the students who were there wanted an assertive leader. And it's okay. And some of them came back and they changed. I mean, it's just amazing. I remember when I started my first cell group for, for, for uh, sports guys, because I was a professional runner for over 10 years, and, and I had a dream to start a sports life group, a cell group, Bible study for sports guys. Now in Potchefstroom, we have all the professional rugby guys there. They've got a, a rugby institute with six, 600 kids just studying rugby. I don't know how you do that, but they do it. <laughs> and they study rugby, and, and I was there, and I thought, man, in two, three weeks, I'm going to fill up all my groups. We're going to have professional guys in there. And in the first month, I only had two guys in my group. One was a skateboarder, and the other guy liked playing squash. <laughs> and I thought, I mean, <laughs> Lord, am I doing the right thing here? And the Lord said to me, Henny, if you're faithful with the little, I'll give you the much. I said, okay, Lord, I'll be obedient. And I started being vulnerable with these two guys. I started playing squash, and I, I watched the other guy ride his skateboard, and, <laughs> and, and I just built great relationship with them. I loved them. I did community with those two guys. And, and it's amazing. For three months, I, the first part, I suffered through it. <laughs> and then it actually became very awesome. I actually longed for most. Like, hey, guys, when we have coffee and we started, actually, they became friends. And in the third month, I remember the third month, we were, I'm readying for, for cell group tonight, and I was prepping, and I thought, what am I going to speak about tonight with these two friends of mine? And I thought, I'm just going to prep something different, and I'm going to print like 20 of the little leaflets I'm usually doing. And I thought, hmm. And then that night, 25 guys came. I didn't have enough. 25, six of them played professional rugby, and my whole living room was full. And, go, and, and, and I just could, I could hear the Holy Spirit say, Henny, well done for just being faithful with the two by building community with them. See, that's why we need grace and community. We need grace. We need grace in our lives when we feel we can't do this. That's why we, we need grace in the church because people step into church and they're afraid to come to church because they, they felt that people are going to make them feel guilty about what's in their lives. But it is not what church is called to. Church is called to community where we can sit in church and you can feel welcome, trusted, vulnerable, that I can, I can feel this is family. And this is what I trust God for us as a church to become, that we become family as we say, hey, church family, that we meant us, that it will be family. Now, through many years of ministry, I saw many people that struggled with sin and has fallen. And oh, We work with that, and we love them through that. But to be honest, can I be honest with you? Every time, the core issue has never been sin. Never. Well, sin is part of it. Well, it's not just sin. It was independence and isolation. Independence and isolation. That brought them to a place where they've fallen and they've sinned. 
You see, when we are isolated, we become a prime target for discouragement. We become a prime target for deception, for making stupid decisions in our lives because we are isolated and we try to be independent. See, isolation and independence is a killer. It kills us because we isolate ourselves. I, I can do this. Instead, God created us to be together, to be part of a family where we can grow, where we can make mistakes. And we need to understand that there is a war going on to get us to, to be isolated. The enemy wants you to be isolated. Look what happened to Judas, Judas before he betrayed Jesus. He started isolating himself. Go and read the scriptures. Isolating himself. Isolate. I mean, if I were with Jesus, I would be with him every second of every day. You see, isolation is one of the main keys of the enemy to cut off the anointing in your life, to cut off the grace in your life, and to take us from, from what you're doing now to make it a short-term thing instead when God planned it to be a long-term thing. So this is my point today. <laughs> this is my point today. Christianity works in a context, context of community. It works in a context of community. You can't do it alone. We can't do this alone. It's not, God didn't create us to do things alone. Otherwise, we, would, we could procreate alone. It, it doesn't work. See, God created and designed Christianity to work in that context. Now, let me give you an illustration for us to understand this. My neighbor has a big boat in his front lawn. Big boat. I don't know where the boat's now. He's probably parked it somewhere else. But he's got a big boat. And he takes his boat to fishing every Every other now and then. He takes fishing, go to the beach. I mean, it's amazing. He loves his boat. He's got a lot of toys. He's got this boat. But the boat were created to work and be effective in water. Am I right? Not on land. In water. No, that's like any, what's your point? Just move on. We know that. You see, if you start that engine of that boat in your driveway, within minutes you burn that engine out. Why? Because boat engines need water to circulate through the engine to cool it down. It needs water. It's built for water. Now, just as much as a boat engine needs water to run, we as Christians need community to come alive. We need community to come alive. See, a boat was created with water in mind. Christianity was created with community in mind. That was God's way. That was His pattern. That was why He created us. And that's why Jesus prayed this powerful prayer. Please, Father, make them one, as I am in one with you. And it's from community that our lives draw the grace that it needs to mature, to grow, to, be, to, be, to live impactful lives. That's what we need. In 1 Peter 5, we know submission leads to grace. Submission leads to grace. Nowadays, people try to take Christianity. I'll take Christianity, but I separate it from community. I'll come to church and I'll sit there and I'll. I mean, that's why people love going to mega churches. And I'm, I'm nothing wrong with mega churches. I know God's going to grow our network big and I love, I love the context of church, but people will come in and sit behind and they will. They will hide in, in the crowd. And they'll jet as quick as possible because they're afraid of community and afraid to be vulnerable. But that's exactly in that place where we grow and mature. 
So many Christians who's trying to run their boat in a driveway. There's so many of them who's trying to run their boat engine in a driveway and they are getting burned up and hurt because they miss the context of what it's meant for. You see, the church and the leaders can train and equip us as much as we can. We can train and equip as much as we can, but if we don't get this foundational truth right, we will start our boat in our driveways wondering why things isn't working. <laughs> Let me end with this. Let me end with this. Lately, I hear so many people say, hey, it's just me and Jesus. And we're happy, man. We're good. It's just me and Jesus. But when I worked with students so many years, and I worked with, with, um, with families for a long time, and I worked with a lot of relationships with students. And, I mean, students' relationships equals issues. <laughs> it's just a lot. But I also done a lot of marriage counseling in my life, and I worked with relationship. I love the context and just the dynamics of relationship. It's so beautiful. God created us for that. But every time I sit with a couple that's really struggling with their relationship, I ask them, who are you talking to? Who's mentoring you? Especially younger couples. Who's mentoring you? Who are you talking to? And, and this is the answer that's probably 90% of the time. I say, <clears throat> ah, nobody. We just did the best we can, and it's just not working. And I thought, every time, I mean, I, I remember moments so clearly, every time I, I walk home and I thought, man, I mean, the best we can. And I thought, if I did the best I can in my marriage, <laughs> my wife probably would kick me out, man. Just to be honest, <laughs> my wife would kick me out. The best you can. You see, it probably won't work. Why? Why? Because God didn't call me just to give my best. He stuck me in community with fathers, with mothers, with friends, with family, so that I can draw from their best into my marriage. I can draw from their best into my life, into who I am. See, our marriages and our relationships has worked my marriage and my relationships and my life has worked because there have been men and women who has given their best into my life. I have molded, joined myself to a community that spoke into my life, that loved me so much. See, we're not just required to give our best, but to access the best of others in my life. Make that doesn't make sense. We need others to make us better. You see, we can't just stand before God one day and say, Lord, I did my best. No, no, he'll say, I didn't say just give me your best. I said, I didn't leave you with yourself. I gave you others so that you can be better with them. I will do a last sermon of our series called Better Together. Better Together. So I gave... God, says, I'll, God said, I'll give you others around you to, to make the best out of you. That's why we have others in our lives. The more we get into Scripture to find the heart of God, the more we will realize how big of a deal this is to God. This is a big deal to God, to have community and family in our lives where we can be vulnerable and we can do life with others. Where people can love me for who I am. So I don't have to play someone special. 
I always, one of my biggest things in my life one day was God sat me down one morning in my devotional time. And he said, Henny, who are you? And I thought, Lord, what do you mean? He said, I said, it's time to put down the masks in your life. I thought, what? And God took me through a thing and he said, Henny, who are you when you're training with your squad? I said, who? And I said, Henny, who are you in church? Who are you with your friends? Who are you with your girlfriend? And I realized, ooh, at training, I'm this guy. I've got the training mask on. Then I come to church and I've got my amen, hallelujah mask on. And then I go to my friends and I've got other masks. And, I, and God challenged me as a young man, said, Henny, I want you to put down the masks because I've made you who you are. It's time to be who I made you to be in this community that I added you. Forget the masks. I made you. Be proud and secure in who you are. Now, Matthew 5, I want to close with this. Matthew 5, verse 23 to 24. It says, Therefore, if you, have, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift right there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. <laughs> A powerful scripture. See, Jesus says this amazing, powerful thing. He says something very, very important. He says community is such an important deal to God that he says that put down your communion, your special moment with him. Put it on hold and go and sort out your relationship with your brother and sister first. Jesus says that, that we need to place our community, sorry, place our community with him on hold until we have dealt with our community and relationship with our brother. Or our sister. That's serious. That's, th that shows me that God values community. He values this. See, it's time to realize that we, that, that what Jesus' heart, we, we need to realize what is Jesus' heart for the church. And it's to grow in community. Let's catch this. We need to catch this today. We need to catch his heart for this today. Now, I'm not saying only make friends in church. <laughs> no, I'm not saying that. Please. No. We need to build a community around us that can help us grow spiritually. But we start in church. Because we need to be in a church family where we can grow together and love each other and know each other, but also grow our community wider with friends that loves Jesus. I've got a community of pastors and friends all around this country that I can pick up my phone now and call any one of them and they would pray with me and I can be vulnerable with them because I've created that in my life because it's so important. Even pastors in this town who's pastors of other churches, I am intentional building relationship with them. Now next year, we will be starting with life groups in our church. I'm, I'm very excited. Next year. And, and I know God is, is not immediately. But I want to challenge all of you. I want to challenge you while we get to next year. I want to challenge you to be intentional with community in our church. And I know there's a lot of people not here this morning. But I want to invite you. And I want to call it a challenge. But to, but to invite friends in church for, for supper. Yeah. For the next few months till we, till we finish the year. But invite someone that you've been seeing at church, but hey, I don't know. I mean, we had a, such a nice supper with, with Therese and Mana and Vimpy and, and Pierre, and, and we had such a nice supper, and we, I mean, we got to know each other better. 
And I realized that while we were driving home, I said to my wife, man, that was so awesome. I love that because I got to know them better. Got to know them better. We had, we had a visit with Leander the other day. It was so good to see where she stays and how passionate she is about other stuff. And I've been to Stephen and Louise, we had Bryce, and, and we, we're getting there. But we, we're trusting God that we get to know people in our church. Why? Because we value community. We value community. I'm not going to start my boat engine in a driveway and ref it till it burns out. No, no, I'm going to go to the place in a context where God has created. He, he created me and you in a context of family where we feel safe, where we can make mistakes. And it's okay because there's grace. There is grace for us. There's grace for us. I want to pray for us, and I want to invite you to stand this morning. And we don't have a piano player, but at least I've got someone else that can make music. <laughs> but I want to pray, and, and I want to trust God with each and every one of us this morning that we would find family and community in our church. That there will be something deep that I was part of my student church. I geared my leaders up so much that if they see new people in church, they don't run to them, but they may, they'll, they'll be intentional. Just go over and say, hi, how are you doing? Man, it's so good to you. Man, did you have coffee? Did you do this? And then start connecting with them. And we shared a testimony this weekend of a lady who came to church. I knew her, and it was in Potch days, and, and she was very, I mean, she was one of the bad peanuts in a packet, you know. She was bad, I mean, hectic. She was sinful to the core, and when she came to church, I was the first one there. It's like, man, it's so good to see you. Because I knew her in context of rugby. And, and, and she felt so, you could see she felt, she felt ashamed. But still, she couldn't believe that I am actually, in a loving way, in, intentionally pulling her in. And I said, man, it's so good to you. Have you have coffee? And I started chatting. How was your week? I said, listen, I need to introduce you to someone. I introduced her to one of our women pastors, one of my best friends. She's running a... A ministry school in, 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 um, in the low field, is that what you call it? La, la, what? The low field. Oh, there's no English word for that. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> in the low field. And anyway, they connected to such a degree that her life changed in two weeks rapidly. We walked into church two weeks after that. Me and my wife couldn't believe who we're talking to because there was just a connection. She found community. And in the community, there was transformation. See, so many churches, so many people, they want transformation immediately and they will pull you into community. No, God says, let me pull you into community. Let's be one with each other as I'm one with my Father. And in that community moment, there will be healing. There will be healing in your life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning. What a privilege it is, Lord, to, to just speak about about who you are in our lives, Father. Lord, I pray that, that there will be, there will be a, a heart of community that will birth in our hearts this, this next three weeks, Lord. As we speak about community, as we speak about friendship, as we speak about being better together. And Father, I thank you that, that, that as we go through this series that, that you will stir our hearts. Stir our hearts for what, what is important for you, Father.
Father, will you come and change our hearts towards community? Will you bring us to a place where we can submit our lives, not because it's a rule or religion, but because we, lo we love to be connected with others in a community where we can grow and feel safe and we can do life with. Father, thank you for, for not leaving us alone. Not leaving us alone. But that you gave us people around us so we can be better. So we can be better. And I pray that you knit people's hearts in this church and for people who's not yet this morning, but you will knit people's hearts together so that we will see how community grows people and brings grace into the picture and ushers humility in like nothing else. So Father, we thank you this morning. Thank you for your goodness and your grace in our lives. Thank you that you will show us how to love others better. And just be part of something that is amazing. Lord, we have a heart to grow closer to you. To be impacted by the Spirit daily and to encounter you on a daily basis. Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. For more detail, visit www.klcstellenbosch.co.za.